Hello, and welcome to An Idol Called Food. I'm your host, Jake T. Tapius, and in this podcast episode, we are going to be speaking about some powerful things regarding nutrition that you may or may not know, but I believe that if you see them from a different perspective, they will have the power to transform your life. Today's podcast episode is sponsored by EmptyYourBucketPlan.com, sustainable nutrition transformations that allow you to show up as the best version of yourself without counting macros, calories, or points. Go to EmptyYourBucketPlan.com, schedule your free consultation, and get on track with your nutrition today so that you can show up the way you were meant to show up. Without further ado, let's jump right into it. I believe most places on planet Earth require that people have a license in order to operate a motor vehicle. What's interesting is that most people on this side of the world also have a kitchen stove, yet none of us have a license to operate it. (laughs) In other words, most people have no idea what they're cooking. More importantly, they don't really know what they're feeding themselves or their families. They have a really hard time distinguishing between a macronutrient and a micronutrient. Yet, this is possibly one of the most important functions in day-to-day living. You ask, why is it so important? Well, obesity rates, obesity rates are through the roof, as well as type 2 diabetes and all sorts of metabolic issues, heart issues, mostly based on lifestyle. The big challenge is that since most people are oblivious to any kind of nutrition guidelines or basic knowledge, they fall prey to all sorts of persuasive nutrition marketing scams, which include the cleanses, the detox, the multi-level marketing companies, and an array of ideas that tell you that if you do XYZ for three or five minutes, this is going to literally give you the ideal body. What makes matters even worse is that most people are under the impression that if they actually get the rules to a fad diet, things such as intermittent fasting, one meal a day, macro counting, calorie counting, point counting, that this will fix their problem. The other delusion is the exercise programs delusion. The Peloton, the Orange Theories, the F45s, if I burn X amount of calories, I'm going to be good. And yet, you're always asking yourself the question, why am I not losing weight if I'm going to the gym six, seven days a week? So I want to bring this conversation to a point and where we sort of depart from the typical conversations around nutrition, which are count macros, count calories, count points, calories in, calories out. If you bring in less calories than you burn, then you're going to be in a deficit and that's going to fix your problems. But I want to take this somewhere else because I have noticed that rules have never changed anyone's heart before. Instead, conviction has. And so you say, wait a second, what do you mean by conviction? There is a big difference between telling someone to do something and most likely if they're good uh, rule followers, if they're coachable, they'll follow those rules for a little while. But until there's actually a heart change, until we actually realize what we're up against, I believe that we will not make sustainable changes. So what are we up against? Are we up against a a, a big uh, sort of appetite you're just a hungry person, you are big boned, your mom was overweight, so then that's why you're overweight. Or, you know, I I just always had, you know, just a sweet tooth, right? I'm just that kind of person that I just, I love sweets. In short, that's very possible. But what does that truly mean? When When do you eat the most? Let me just say that most people eat the most and eat the worst 
when they're under stress, when their disciplined muscle has wore down from the day. In other words, at the end of the day, after dinner, that's usually when you find yourself sort of venturing into the kitchen to look for the sweet stuff. Or maybe you sit by the couch and every time you sit by the couch, you just need those chips. Or maybe you know, you're at work and you just got a project put on top of your desk and they gave you a really, really close deadline and you've already had issues with your boss and so stress is through the roof and the first thing you do is go into your desk and get that Kit Kat bar that you've had there for a couple of weeks but now is the right time because you are stressed like never before. Or maybe you are um, simply bored. You're just bored and so you're trying to figure out how to <laughs> kill time and so food is the thing that you go towards. But notice that the vast majority of times when you're overeating or eating things that you shouldn't be eating, it's not necessarily because you're hungry. You're not physically hungry, you're emotionally hungry. I would say up to 90% of the time. And the reason I say that is because I truly believe that the 21st century man is not physically hungry. What happens is that we've gotten so used to spiking insulin consistently that our hunger cues are constantly going off telling us we're hungry. But more importantly, it's not even because we haven't had anything to eat because most of us, at least on this side of the world, we have breakfast, lunch, and there. So why is it that we're always hungry in between? My friend, it's called stress. And here's what's interesting about this subject. I believe that anytime that you are under friction, under adversity, that there's any kind of physical pang going on. You have, you're, 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 you're depressed, you're sad, you're happy, any of these high, low emotions, you're reaching for food because what you're looking to do is mitigate emotions through food. So my question to you is, do you have an, a big appetite or do you simply have a dependency, an emotional dependency to food? I think <laughs> the latter is true. I think for the most part, the people that I work with inside of my program are not necessarily people that are big bone or people that have these great big appetites, but instead that they're just quenching all of the adversity and friction in their lives with food. So then JT, <laughs> you've given me a lot to think about here. Uh, sounds pretty negative. Uh, you're being pretty pessimistic. What's, what's the, how do we fix this? How, what's the cure? And I'm here to say that Inside of our programs, inside of the Empty Your Bucket Nutrition Plan, we talk about nutrition through the lens of addiction. We believe that to one extent or the other, most people are addicted to food. And the reason for that is, once again, because stress is high. We live in America. People are chasing the American dream. People are working too many hours, not sleeping enough, sleep deprived. We are lacking in, in nutrient density, even though we live in a country that is has has just a... a, a an expanse of of things that we can eat right we have so many choices in this in this in this country and yet people are nutritionally uh, basically bankrupt right people are eating the right nutrients they're, e they're eating empty calories and most people are suffering from a dependency an emotional dependency to food so how do we how do we get away from this how do we change this whole idea well, the answer is the same answer that I give people that are struggling with alcohol, drugs, or cigarettes. You say, oh, come on, that's, that's a bit much. We're just talking about food. Well, let me ask you the question. Would you consider food to be more addicting than alcohol, cigarettes, or drugs? I think, I think, if you're thinking of it correctly, I think you would say yes. 
And the reason I say that is because food is normalized as something we need to do in order to survive, right? It's part of our livelihood. The problem is we have justified something that is for our livelihood and we have made it sort of an entertainment, sort of a crutch, sort of an idol. And so what needs to happen in order for us to reclaim our palates, reclaim our brain's reward pathway? Well, the answer to that is abstinence, my friend. The painful word abstinence. In order for you to overcome any kind of dependency, you have to eradicate the vice. That's right. You say, what do you mean? Do I need to fast? Do I need not? I mean, should I not eat? And the answer to that is that would be the easiest way to do it, but that is the hardest way to do it. You don't need to do that. We need to fast from sugar. Sugar is the thing that is killing us. It's not the fats. It's the sugar. So you say, oh, I'm okay because I don't eat cakes and desserts and things of that nature. I'm not talking about direct sugar. I'm talking about indirect sugar, starchy carbohydrates. Now, before I go on, I'm not here to demonize any food group. I'm not here to say that carbs are bad for you. I'm simply here to say that if you've been in a surplus of calories for a while, you have some weight to lose. That most likely means that you have glycogen stored in your liver and your muscles, excess glycogen that needs to be that it needs to be combusted, right? Just like any energy source, you need to combust that energy source. One of the fastest ways to do that is to go into abstinence from foods that spike a significant amount of insulin, AKA starchy carbohydrates, rice, potatoes, pastas, breads, legumes in the form of beans, lentils, garbanzos, even fruit. That's right. I get crucified for saying fruit, but that's right. Fruit is one of those things that actually reminds your brain about sugar. So for six to eight weeks, which is what we do inside of our program for the first six weeks, we get you into abstinence. And that abstinence allows you to reclaim your brain's reward pathways and to reset your palate, meaning the affections you have for certain foods that are getting you in trouble. The transition then is to reincorporate slow digesting carbs so that you can start to normalize your diet. We do that for about four weeks and then we transition you into a phase three and where you practice intuitive eating. But you see, you can't practice intuitive eating <laughs> right off the bat. You can't just get off the couch, dust yourself off from the, from the Dorito dust and think that you're going to do intermittent or sorry, intuitive eating. Well, intuitive eating needs to be something that you build up slowly but surely and it happens through phase one two and three when you get to that phase three what actually happens is you have the ability now to make better choices because you've trained your hunger cues you've reset your palate and now you're equipped to actually practice intuitive eating inside of our program we call that the 80 20 80 percent of the time you stick to the parameters 20 percent of the time you get to loosen up a little bit so you don't have to be restricted all the time and it is a powerful way to make nutrition sustainable. So my friend, I'm here to say that if you have struggled with this idea of food, if you have been on a million different diets, nothing has worked for you. You can't manage to figure out what's going on. You're blaming it on hormones, your age, your big bone, your, your, you have a big appetite. I'm here to say that most likely you haven't come to the idea that you are highly emotionally dependent on food. And until you put that thing to abstinence, into abstinence, you will not be able to overcome it. And so I've given you some tools here, some things to think about. I'm not saying this is the end-all duel. I am saying it has been for many people that have come to our program. 
eight out of 10 people that come through a program are incredibly successful and sustain it for the rest of their lives. And hopefully you can take this little 12 minute podcast here and put it to action and see some radical changes in your life. That is my hope. That is my prayer for you. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast episode. My name is JT Tapius with an idol called food. I hope you enjoy it. More importantly, I hope you put it to action. I'll talk to you guys soon. Ciao, ciao.